Ah, and we are live. Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash Takes by Fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So, however you want to watch or listen, we've got you covered multiple ways. Alrighty, today is a big old Tuesday. Week 4 in the NFL has officially wrapped up. Uh, so, we got to redo our power rankings. 10 teams. Well, we actually had 13. 12. 12 teams. We had those uh, 3 teams sat at number 10. And we'll see what we do with them, uh, you know, on what they've done this week. So, we got to update our power rankings today on the show. And it's tight end Tuesday, baby. Now that week 4 is uh, over. Over in the league that every tight end has played. We can judge them, grade them, and see who showed out and showed up here to tight end university because we're grading tight end performances today as well. And then there was football on last night as well. We got to break down that game. Chargers, Raiders, woo! Raiders undefeated? Eh, not any longer. And that weather delay, geez, what did the game go like 45 minutes late because they want to have a lightning delay in a dome? A lot to go through, a lot to break down, and a great show that is packed today. But before we get into any of all of that, geez, this whole Urban Meyer saga, folks, it's continuing. And a little bit earlier today, it was like, is Urban Meyer going to get fired today? Because uh, according to Michael Lombardi... You know Michael Lombardi, the Lombardi Trophy. This is the dude. He's part of the family. Um, so he tweets out this earlier this morning. According to two Jacksonville sources, there are many closed-door meetings happening over the last two days in the football offices, offices, and none of them have anything to do with the Titans. Stay tuned. This might get ugly. So waking up this morning, I was like, damn, Urban Meyer is truly going to get the boot. But uh, it seems like they are not going to go that route just quite yet. But let's get a nice update on what this whole Urban Meyer situation is looking like so Michael Lombardi said hey a lot of closed door meetings potentially you know not gonna be good but then the Jaguars released an official statement just an hour ago from their uh, owner Shad Khan and this is a statement from Shad Khan the owner of the Jaguars this is what he had to say quote I have addressed this matter with Urban. Specifics of our conversation will be held in confidence. What I will say is his conduct last weekend was inexcusable. I appreciate Urban's remorse, which I believe is sincere. Now he must regain our trust and respect. That will require a personal commitment from Urban to everyone who supports, represents, or plays for our team. I am confident he will deliver. Ooh, closed door meeting. Yeah, we're not going to get into the specifics here. But, uh, you know, he says, hey, we've lost a little bit of confidence in Urban Meyer. You know, we don't really have that much respect for him, you know, either. We have to, you know, he has to gain that respect, gain that trust back. And that's never something that should be talked about at that head coaching spot. We just talked about that yesterday on the show. I mean, you can lose the locker room instantly. And this man didn't ride home with the team on a loss, on a loss. I mean, not riding back on the team plane? Who does that? When was the last time a head coach has not rode back on the team plane 
after e after a game, either win loss, it doesn't really matter. Hey, you're not going back with your team. All right, guys. Yeah, y'all take off. I'll meet back up with you. You lost. I mean, you should have been on that plane a hundred percent. If you won, maybe I can maybe see a situation where you don't travel back with the team. Maybe you know it was Thursday night, so you do have that extra long break. But you know, if you lose, you better be a hundred percent on that plane. If you win. Maybe we can have something where, yeah, okay, well, this cer certain situation, they won, there was family, you know, the days, you know, you had the next day off, so everybody, you know, had the day off, so it's just all that. But if you lose, you better make sure you are riding back with your other losers that all just lost this game. You, know, you better be on the loser plane. But this man wanted to go out and celebrate and kind of uh, go out with his friends. He wanted a party with his friends in Cincinnati? <laughs> you, you're, you're on a party in Cincinnati? I mean, Urban Meyer may lose his job over Cincinnati. That's a bad move right there, Urban Meyer. So, Shad Khan, I have addressed the matter with Urban Meyer. I appreciate Urban's remorse. And, you know, he does look remorseful. We just saw the video yesterday of him apologizing at the press conference. Head down, not able to look at anything. Obviously, his wife, you know, she kind of tweeted out. Uh, she was, like, at home with the kids. So, she was like, well, this is how my Thursday night's going or whatever. When she found out uh, about the Urban Meyer, you know, lap dance. Not great. But, yeah, I believe Urban Meyer, you know, is he sincere? I'm sure he is. I'm not going to say he's lying about his remorse and his sincerity and his apologies and all that. I mean, you only apologize because you got caught, but uh, I believe he is sincere. I mean, nobody wants to get caught in 4K like that. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to believe Urban Meyer that, you know, his apology is sincere. But at the same time, it's just like, why are you putting yourself in this situation in the first place? I mean, we've said it, you know, yesterday on the show, just nothing has been good by Urban Urban Meyer so far here with the Jacksonville Jaguars in just another, is this a mistake? Uh, what do we classify this? Another misstep, another miscue as a head coach. So, um, you know, the Jaguars, they obviously are aware of it. He apologized yesterday. And now Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, having to release a statement on Urban Meyer's uh, conduct here. And it's just wild. That Herb Meyer, I mean, being a head coach before, obviously not in the NFL, but still a head coach regardless, and he's still acting like this? I mean, could you imagine if one of his players did this, you know, in college? One of his, uh, you know, yeah, one of his players, <laughs> you know, in Ohio State doing this? So... <sighs> uh, so he's not going to get fired just quite yet. He needs to kind of, you know... Uh, you know, make up for it and try to win back that locker room, but it's going to be gosh dang tough. And uh, this is what we're hearing as well. This is from Michael Silver, and his credentials are 13 plus years at Sports Illustrated and six at dot com don. So. He's blue checkmark verified in the sports world. And uh, this is what he has to say. This was his tweet uh, an hour ago as well. Uh, he says, The Herb Meyer situation in Jacksonville has reached a crisis point, especially in the locker room. One player told me, quote, He has zero credibility in that stadium. He had very little to begin with. So once again, we talk about you know him bringing in Tim Tebow and why that was such a disastrous move because nobody respected Tim Tebow. Nobody respected respects Tim Tebow, folks. I don't care what the media says. Oh, it's such a lighthearted story. Oh, look at this kid getting another chance in the NFL after 
10 years of never, I'm not playing and all this. Oh, isn't this such a good feel good story? No, maybe the media was pushing that narrative, but I can tell you the players in that locker room were like, what the hell is this guy doing here? And why is he a tight end now? I mean, he's taking opportunities away from other tight ends. The other tight ends in that locker room were not respecting him. And I can guarantee the other position players in that locker room were not respecting Urban Meyer for making this decision of bringing this kind of circus into their locker room. And we all know that Tim Tebow really had no chance. You're telling me that a man that's never played tight end is going to play tight end professionally in the NFL and be successful? Come on. We all knew that was nonsense right off the rip. But the media, ESPN, their, their freaking golden child. Oh, it's Tim Tebow. Story, story, positive st story, story, story. But... We never got that insight from the locker room. We told you all about the insight from the locker room. We've been on this, you know, right from the beginning. Uh, uh, and why we never bought Urban Meyer. And now it's all coming crashing down on him because it's mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, folks, we're months into this Urban Meyer head coaching position hire. It's just now getting blown uh, blown um, up even more because now he has to actually go out there and perform as a head coach out on the field. And we're only four weeks in and he's floundering big time. So players saying he has zero credibility in the stadium and, uh, you know, zero credibility to begin with. And now this entire thing of not riding back on the team plane and getting a lap dance and going out and celebrating in Cincinnati after a loss. Now they're saying he's lost all the slim credibility that he already had. Now we get this same thing here. He's got about five tweets here. Michael Silver again says players were particularly put off by the fact that Meyer canceled Monday's team meeting as he dealt with the uproar uproar over the videos of him and a young woman getting cozy in that Ohio bar. Quote here by a player, he even canceled the team meeting. He was too scared. Oh my god. So he makes a big mistake and then as you're trying to move forward because there's still a game to be played this week, the tennis Titans you got that on deck Monday is when everything kind of starts getting into place he cancels practice in the team meeting on Monday or just a team meeting on Monday because he didn't want to face the music and had to kind of, you know, address the media, have that kind of press conference of his sorry, of him being sorry and all that. So now, once again, he's hurting the team because of his selfish actions. And if, you know, this was one of Urban Meyer's players doing this, you better believe he would be scolding him and, you know, he'd be like, oh, well, he would be, you know, suspended without pay for one game, you know, um, as his punishment. And, you know, he will have to, even Urban Meyer would probably say, hey, he has to earn the respect of his guys because this is a brotherhood this is you know it gets talked about all the time you are going to battle on the NFL field blood sweat and tears will be shed so you protect and fight with your brothers and now you're not there this week because you wanted to go dancing with this other girl after a loss I mean that's the biggest thing folks after a loss after a loss this man decided to not get on the team plane and said yeah I'll see y'all later the man really did this this is absolutely absurd it's out of the realm of NFL head coaches folks this is not even in the realm of coaching he's outside the realm of coaching not where you want to be. Not where you want to be. 
All right, what do, uh, another tweet here. Here we go. Instead, Meyer only apologized to position groups individually. He portrayed the woman in the videos as a random person who was just there dancing. Suffice it to say, his audience was highly skeptical. He was just, she was just there dancing. Well, she was dancing on your crotch. So, yeah, she was just there dancing. And then you were like, yeah, let me kind of, you know, get a little closer. I could, if she's a dancer, I can get a little closer. Let me get a little closer, a little, little bit closer. And like, so Urban Meyer's making excuses, not, not apologizing to everybody, just the position groups. It may be his favorite. Maybe you can do that in college. Oh, the quarterback, the wide receiver. Oh, you know, you know, they're big, they're big kids on campus. Um, you know, if I can get in with them, that will help me out. But you can't do that in the NFL, folks. And that's what we said earlier, a couple weeks ago. I mean, you're not coaching kids anymore. These are grown adults, men out here. Urban Meyer, you have to change up your coaching style. And it seems like he's still trying to coach. I don't want to call the college kids kids, but, you know, college people, college-aged people. Um, so it's just so many things going wrong that Urban Meyer is himself doing. Urban Meyer is himself making all these decisions. Trash. Trash head coach. I've, I've got no problem saying this and um i was going through our slides uh the other day here of like everything that we keep track of here on the show and i forgot about this one right here we wrote down that robert Sala is the worst head coach in the nfl right now and what sparked us to say this was that he didn't have zach wilson signed to his rookie deal by the start of uh, training camp so zach wilson missed like the first day uh, so we did it like that by Robert Sala. Uh, but now this has to obviously be switched. This was months ago, too. Uh, but, yeah, this has to be switched to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is the worst head coach in the NFL right now. I mean, that's I don't think that's uh, blasphemous to say or if that's going to get any pushback in the media. I don't I don't think so. Uh, but, yeah, Urban Meyer is the worst head coach in the NFL right now. Absolutely. I mean, he takes the cake and then runs with it. He's miles and miles and miles and miles ahead of everybody else. Dan Campbell is literally fighting tooth and nail to just get one win out there, laying everything out, being competitive in every single game. And here is Urban Meyer. It's like, all right, yeah, we okay, we, okay. Okay, we lost. We okay, y'all y'all care about y'all care about losing? Oh, I didn't know y'all cared that much about losing. I was just going to go get a lap dance after this. Um okay. All right, y'all really want to win. I get it now. All right, uh, two more tweets here. Said one player, quote, we looked at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> right when he left, everyone started dying laughing, and he knew it. Oh, man, he's got no respect in the locker room. Nobody respects him. Nobody likes him. Nobody is impressed with his, you know, his uh, college coaching days. That does not translate to the NFL, and they all know it. They're laughing. They are all laughing at Urban Meyer, folks. He's not going to have this locker room respecting him anytime soon they're all clowning him because he is a clown I mean everything that he did uh, over the last couple of days is pure clownish folks this is clownish clownish he's a clown red hair red wig red nose face paint big smile clown Urban Meyer out here and then the last tweet by Michael Silver 
five bottom line said the player it's bad I don't know he's gonna function so I mean we saw him try to function at the press conference he couldn't even look depressed in the eyes I'm sure he's not looking his players in the eyes either and the players that he is kind of apologizing to because you know like we just said he's apologize he only apologized to position groups individually not addressing the entire team. As soon as this comes out, you are the head coach. This is your team. You need to take the team by the reins. If you do fuck up like Urban Meyer did, you get everybody in the room and you admit, hey, I fucked up. This was, I don't know what I was thinking. I truly apologize for the decision that I made. I should have been with y'all and I can guarantee you I'm not going to leave your side. I am going to battle with y'all. I know what I have done has lost the trust and the respect of you, uh, you the players, but I'm here delayed all on the line, and I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to lead by action. I'm not going to let my words do the talking. I am going to prove to y'all that I deserve to be this head coach, that I am willing to go out there and coach for y'all, that I am willing to go out there at bat and fight for y'all. I am here 100% not distracted anymore. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. But from right here forward, we're ready to get these fucking wins. We're ready to win and we're ready to prove that we are here and we're ready to prove that we are a true football team and let's get it going. You try to put it behind you as quickly as possible, but you must address everybody. You must apologize to them directly. It's all 100% your fault. And so far, Urban Meyer is not doing anything close to that so he's losing the locker room folks Shad Khan trying to do some damage control I don't think this statement is going to do anything it's not going to help mend the locker room and really that's the only thing that matters screws screw the national media screw us here at takes by fans of clowning Urban Meyer and all that it depends. It only matters on the locker room. If he wins the locker room over, which I don't think he does, then fine. But um, you know, if he doesn't, you must get rid of him. And you know, Urban Meyer, a uh, kind of a big hire, a big kind of name, draws attention here. Obviously, he draws attention. He can just go to a bar and pick up women just like that. Urban Meyer's a big name. He draws attention, and uh, that's kind of why the Jaguars hired him in the first place. But now he's he's overshadowing the organization. Nobody is bigger than the team. Nobody is bigger than the team. Not the quarterback, not the head coach. Nobody is bigger than the team. Tom Brady was never bigger than the team, so Urban Meyer should never be even close to bigger than the team. Bill Belichick was never bigger than the Patriots, so... Urban Meyer is not even close to even thinking about maybe potentially being bigger than the team, than the organization, than the brand of the Jaguars. You must cut it off as soon as possible. I would have no, um, no problem firing him right after this incident. It's one, two, three, way too many mistakes by Urban Meyer. He just wasn't ready, and uh, it's just unfortunate. You took, your you took your chance. You had your shot. You didn't make the most of it by even close standards. Uh, so you got to go. I would have cut this off as soon as this happened. This is too toxic to have in the locker room. And uh, I don't think he's going to get the respect back, folks. So we'll keep an eye on the respect factor here and how the Jaguars look coming out this week. They're at home for the Titans. So that's going to be a big game. Do, do the players rally around Urban Meyer? Do they all put it behind them? Or do they come out flat-footed on the field? Because I, uh, you, you only get one game. Really, I would have fired them here. But, uh, you know, maybe 
We'll give them the benefit of the doubt and give them one more game. But if they come out truly flat, you must nip it in the bud. We got a rookie quarterback, a uh, generational talent quarterback, the face of the franchise at the quarterback position, and he is more important than Urban Meyer. And we need him to be good. We need him to be comfortable. We need him to respect his coaches, and we need to get him started as quickly as possible on his journey of being kind of one of the top quarterbacks in the league because that's going to help us win games and that's going to help us win championships and that's going to just help the overall organization move forward from, you know, the last 20 years of them just being absolutely trash, absolutely garbage as an organization, not competitive. Um, they were competitive for one year like four years ago. That was it. That was their window and it closed real gosh dang quick. Alrighty, and then finally, let's just kind of remind y'all what he has done. Uh, somebody went out and listed it um, on Twitter of every decision Urban Meyer has made. And uh, let's read everything that Urban Meyer has done. And let's see, were these good decisions? They're not, but let's double check. Here we go. He hired Chris Doyle as the team's director of sports performance. Doyle was accused of making racist comments and belittling players during his time at Iowa. After heavy backlash, Doyle resigned from the Jaguars. So, Urban Meyer not making a good personnel decision. When have we seen that before? Oh, he signed Tim Tebow as a tight end. So, that's, uh, you know, two strikes right there of judging players personality, judging personnel, and making the wrong decision of bringing them on your team. Two strikes right there. What else did he do? He drafted a running back in the first round despite already having James Robinson on the roster. Why do that? You already have a number one running back, and now you want another number one running back? I don't mind the decision there, but once again, it's just not playing, and obviously it's not panning out to fruition because Travis Etienne um, – you know, is out for the season because of an injury. Unfortunate. And then he openly admitted that he was hoping to draft Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver that the Giants got, with the pick they used on Travis Etienne. So you drafted Travis Etienne, and then you're like, yeah, we, we were going to take Kadarius Toney, but we got left with him. So once again, not respecting your players, and that goes back to, you know, Adam Gase, the biggest example I always point out. You have Le'Veon Bell on your team. As soon as Adam Gase got to the Jets as the head coach, he's like, yeah, we're way overplaying Le'Veon Bell. I would not have signed him to that contract. Why are you openly dissing your players? If you really, truly think that, that's fine. Keep that in your head. Keep that as a thought. But now you're openly disrespecting players out here. And once again, trust, respect. That's all that football is, trust and respect. If you lose that, there is no way that your players are going to play up for you, that they will play for you on the field and all that. So you must gain their respect, their trust, their loyalty, and you di openly dissing rookie players. That's definitely a, a, you know, a 180-degree flip on trusting and respecting your players. Alrighty, he told reporters that the cut that they cut players due to their vaccine status. Then the NFLPA opened an investigation to those comments. So once again, not saying the wrong things out loud, not judging talent. He had an open competition for the starting quarterback between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew. Minshew was traded a few weeks later, but still split valuable first team reps with Lawrence. And that's something that we harped on. One of the decisions Urban Meyer has made that we have truly harped on here and always bring up, you took 
valuable experience away from Trevor Lawrence to have an open quarterback competition. And we were thinking, okay, maybe you can get some great trade value for Gardner Minshew, but what do they get? A six round pick? I mean, that's not even worth it at that point. So once again, bad decision by Urban Meyer. He traded away last year's number nine overall pick. The team starts 0-4. He didn't travel with the team after their week four loss to Cincinnati. Viral videos and photos emerge of him with a woman other than his wife. And an owner releases a statement that Meyer must regain our trust and respect. When was the last time uh, owner was like, yeah, he has to just get our trust and respect back if that ever happens if that, if that ever becomes the case you fire that person immediately there's no winning the trust what can urban meyer do to win the trust and respect back of the players what can he do what literally what can the man do can he not can he ride on the team playing the entire rest of the season like he's supposed to do is that going to win the trust back um he has to win a game first now if he wins this week it could you know lessen everything that's been going on in the media but are they going to play for Urban Meyer are they all going to be ready to rock or are they just going to throw in the towel and just be like yeah, we're not going to play for this dude we're not playing for this man out here we're not respecting anything that he says or anything that he does so Urban Meyer in a real bad spot right here, and uh, he did it all to himself. So, Urban Meyer, folks. Urban Meyer. <laughs> Urban Meyer. Not riding back with the team after a loss. What is that? And then going out and uh, kind of a little cheating on his wife. Never great. Never great. Everybody loves to, you know, oh my God, marriage is such a big sanctity. And this is kind of why we're going this hard on Urban Meyer. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, are like, oh, why are you going that hard on Urban Meyer? Oh, we made a few mistakes. Oh, this. Oh, give him another chance. Give him another chance. Give him another chance. Y'all like value marriage in the sanctity of marriage so much and then when people break it it's just like oh give them a chance give them a chance it's like y'all can't have it both ways that's why we're going in on Urban Meyer because it's mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake and then you know he's he's going outside the realm of coaching and then he's bringing his marriage into it and all this it's just like this is not the guy this is not the guy why do y'all love to give the same per people chances time and time and time and time and time and time and time again and again and again, and again oh he's good in college so he's definitely going to be good in the NFL there's other head coaches that would do such a better job than Urban Meyer and they never get the looks because they don't have the clout that Urban Meyer does and then this is what happens they don't respect the position themselves. They didn't earn this position. They didn't earn to kind of coach in the NFL after taking a couple of years off of coaching because, you know, he was getting sick on the sideline, actively head coaching, was putting such a stress on Urban Meyer to be a head coach in the college program that he had to kind of step down because it was affecting his health. But then he wants to get brought in the NFL system. I mean, literally, it makes no sense why Urban Meyer is even coaching anyway. Uh, so once again, you're just taking spots and opportunities away from other people that have put in the time, put in the work, and, you know, will kind of ride back with the team and won't cheat on their wives and all that. But they don't get the shot. They don't get the shot because Urban Meyer is taking up all the chances and, uh, you know, getting the fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth chances out here where other people don't even get that one chance. So Urban Meyer, man, Urban Meyer, worst coach in the NFL. That's, a how, that's the only way we can put it. The worst coach in the NFL that nobody respects. And he's still somehow a head coach in this league. Urban Meyer, folks. Give it up for Urban Meyer. Big ol' Herb. Um, 
the canvas, like I said, should be on the way. <laughs> we got to order that and uh, have that apologetic Herb Meyer face hanging behind us on the wall. Um, absolutely um, awful job here so far by Herb Meyer. All right, and then Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer ahead of week five says the reality is the AFC South is within striking distance. So now this man, after he got that lap dance out of his system, he's ready to move right back on to football and saying, hey, the division is up for grabs, so let's go out and get it. Well, I don't think your players are going to be kind of there behind you to help you go get that. So we'll see how long Urban Meyer lasts, and we'll see how they come out and perform this week. Uh, but um, Urban Meyer... I can't even look his players in the eyes. I can't even apologize. So ashamed. He should step down. We'll see if that happens today. All righty. All right. Now that we got that story out of the way, that little update out of the way, uh, let's head over to last night's Monday Night Football game and break it down. So here we go. Raiders, Chargers, and the Chargers end up pulling away with this one, winning 28-14 to after a half-hour, 45-minute lightning delay in a dome. How... how unfortunate was that last night geez you go to watch the game and they're like ah, 35 40 minutes later um in the countdown crew they did not look into that at all um the the four people down on the field talking it their body language is like i don't want to be i don't want to be here anymore i'm not talking another 40 minutes uh before this game can start again we just told y'all everything now we have to kind of say it all again and come up with everything on the fly so they just did not look into it at all but the game ends up tipping off and uh kicking off a little later and uh the chargers hey they were ready to go they went down and scored a touchdown on the first drive set the tempo seven nothing and the Raiders were still not showing up after the delay because uh, they didn't put up any points in the first half. Then after halftime, they come out and put up two touchdowns on consecutive drives to make it a little competitive. But then after a missed field goal, Justin Herbert goes on a 10-play, 58-yard, five-minute drive that puts him up two scores and only leaves about five minutes left on the clock, and the game was basically over. So Raiders got out to a little bit of a slow start. And uh, Justin Herbert comes up clutch when he needs to, which is great. Um, and then another thing just to kind of touch on here, um, a lot of people, like people that talk about sports in the national media, they hang, they they like grab on to one team that's doing really, really good. And then they just kind of say they keep, they're always good. They're always good. They're always good just to kind of make them right. And just kind of like, that's not what we do here on the show. This is folks, we say it all the time. We do everything here on the show for a reason. We break down every game, every performance. What are they looking like? How are they scoring? How are they losing? How are they not scoring? How are their drives looking? We go in depth on all of that every single week for a reason folks because everybody on that kind of Monday night countdown um, especially the, during that kind of 45 minute segment um, that they had to fill before the game started everybody was truly kind of overvaluing in my opinion overvaluing the Raiders and the Chargers morally the Raiders so than the Chargers but everyone was like this is like a top 5 team in the league a top 3 team in the league maybe the best team in the league and I'm like yes this Raiders team is good but folks did y'all not remember what happened the last two seasons they got out to good starts they looked good in the first half and this is what we've been saying all off season heading into the season folks don't get kind of bamboozled if this Raiders team comes out to a good start like they have been doing because they did that the last two years folks under John Gruden 
we know Derek Carr can play. And once again, they were kind of harping and hyping up Derek Carr, saying Derek Carr is one of the most elite quarterbacks in this league. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I feel like now that the media, the national media, is finally looking at the Raiders and finally kind of talking about the Raiders, they're just going overboard with it. They're overvaluing the Raiders, where we are kind of starting to kind of not truly fade the Raiders 100%, but we are keeping... Um, keeping the Raiders kind of in check because we know this is what they do. We really can't evaluate the Raiders 100% until kind of like week 9 and 10 once we're starting to get into the back end of the season. So I just think it's the wrong time to get uh, above and beyond buying into this Raiders team, folks. And that's definitely going to reflect in our power rankings. Um, I'll spoil it right now. The Raiders aren't even in the top 10 anymore after this loss. Um, their offense struggled. Their defense played solid. They only held the Chargers to 28 points. That's not bad. Uh, they only held them to 14 points in the first half, or 21 points in the first half, only gave up seven points in the second half, and they were able to kind of hold the door open a little bit longer for the Raiders to try to kind of take advantage and come back and win the game. But then, like we said, Herbert goes on a nice drive in the fourth quarter. Was this topped off by – who was this topped off by? Jared Cook? Who, who scored this last touchdown? Uh, we got tight end university coming up. Um, it was Austin Eckler, but I believe Jared Cook had a nice big catch. Yeah, 13-yard pass that we're definitely going to uh, watch uh, when we break down and give grades out to tight ends. <clears throat> Um, so Justin Herbert comes down and scores a touchdown and really kind of ices the game. But when we look at what Derek Carr was doing, just kind of a little lackluster overall from last night. Uh, so let's just kind of keep the Raiders in check a little bit. We're not going to kind of be, you know, we're, well, we haven't even been. Um, you know, and this is what we said kind of already. I mean, why we weren't kind of over-exaggerated on the Raiders to begin with heading into this game was, I mean, they won all their games kind of in overtime. They should have lost to the Ravens in overtime overtime but Lamar Jackson fumbles they get bailed out and they take advantage and that's definitely a great you know a great thing that we definitely talk up on the show that um, you know goes into our algorithm of what we think and what makes good teams according to us you know taking advantage of all the turnovers and the Raiders did that in overtime but still it took a turnover in overtime for them to win the game so they could have lost to the Ravens then they go and beat the Steelers but are the Steelers even a good team we can't even classify the Steelers as a good team so the overall that's not the best win and then they go and face the Dolphins with no quarterback and almost lose that game and it goes into overtime and it took their second possession in overtime to win after they get, let the Dolphins go down and score that game tying field goal in overtime so they get another chance to try and win in overtime and they do but once again they almost lost to the Ravens and they almost lost to the Dolphins I mean this could have been a one and two team going into the Chargers and after the Chargers they're one and three and nobody would be talking about the Raiders the way that this national media and all the kind of sports media heads are talking about the Raiders and how they're talking about Derek Carr. Derek Carr truly deserves respect. He's a really solid quarterback. He didn't have the best game last night, but this is what we're saying. This is what we know of the Raiders. They flounder as the season progresses. They get figured out. They don't change their schemes. They can't change their schemes, and they just get figured out, and that's why they don't make the playoffs at the end of the year, folks. 
So if you want to get big on this Raiders team, that's fine. We're not going to stop y'all from getting big on this Raiders team. But I'm just saying, temper down expectations and just know what John Gruden is as a head coach. It's really just John Gruden, in our opinion. We don't blame Derek Carr. It's really just the coaching. And we'll see if it again happens this season. But it, we kind of got our answer last night. A lackluster performance overall. They didn't get out to the hot start. John Gruden's not making any excuses about saying, hey, it was the lightning delay that got us off. We're going to, um, or got us out to that slow start or non existent start because they didn't put up any points in the first half. Um, and we're going to look at that quote after we break down this game a little bit more. But still, they're not using that as an excuse. So we're not going to use that as an excuse either. They came out bad. They did not look good. And, you know, they lose the game. And now they're three and one. And we'll see. <clears throat> how they perform for the rest of the season. But let's get into Derek Carr in this Raiders team a little bit. Here we go. Derek Carr goes 21 of 34. 21 of 34 for 61% completion percentage. That's not really what we're looking for there. And only 196 yards, so a little bit of dink and dunk overall, folks. It was fourth and two. This man dinked it down. It was another fourth down. This turnover on downs right here. It's fourth and three, and Derek Carr passed short to Josh Jacobs. Uh, we don't have have the all 22 up quite yet so hopefully it's up by tomorrow because I do want to look at these kind of well, let me see if I can bring this up quickly I want to do it very very quickly but this is what we talk about when we talk about dink and dunk folks I understand you have to take what the defense gives you I get that I 100% get that and you have to kind of take the checkdowns because the pressure the pressure is coming. I get that, folks. That goes without saying. But when you're dinking and dunking, not and you get too caught up in the dink and dunk, and you don't trust your arm, and you don't trust your uh, playmakers um, on the boundaries, your wide receivers, and then you keep dinking and dunking. We see it with Teddy Bridgewater. It's unfortunate. It kills me every time I say that because I truly root for. Um, um, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, and I really want to see him be successful in this league, but he dinks and dunk, and we're going to watch it on Wednesday tomorrow on our show, um, our film study show, because he was just dinking and dunking the entire time, not stretching the field vertically against the Ravens' defense, and we he kind of did that in Carolina, and if you get too caught up in the dink and dunk, then you dink and dunk on fourth and three. I mean, he threw it like two yards behind the line of scrimmage, folks, to the back, and then that gives time for the linebacker and the other defender to chase him down and stop him short of the first down. Did they get any... I don't think they got any yards on this fourth and three. You check it down on fourth and three, you're going to turn the ball over regardless, so take Take the shot. Take the deep shot. You dink it off on fourth and three, folks. Dink and dunk. It can come back and hurt you. I understand you have to take what the defense gives you. But overall, through the course of the game, it kind of averages out your dinks and dunks and your big throws. That's why we always kind of look at that 10-yard rule. We really want to see at least 10 yards minimum for, for pass completion because that kind of tells you overall you weren't dinking and dunking the whole game. But 21 completions for 196 yards, dinking and dunking on 4th and 3, that's what the Raiders were doing the entire game. They weren't able to move the ball deep and stretch the field vertically. And obviously that hurt the Raiders because... Because that's kind of what they do. They stretch the field vertically with their great speed of Hunter Renfro. In the big tight end of Darren Waller. That's their game. The big arm of Derek Carr. That's their game. But they couldn't get to their game last night. So the dink and dunk. It hurt Derek Carr last night folks. He dinked it on 4th and 3. And I think he had one more. We had another turnover on downs here. Um, was it this one? A 4th and 7. Pass incomplete, short right to Henry Ruggs. It would have stopped like 
three or four yards short if it even was completed. But once again, and this was a turnover on downs on their very last possession of the game, which really, I mean, they were already down two possessions. So, you know, the game is already over at that point. But the game is already at that point, and you're still dinking and dunking? Oh, my goodness. What are we doing out here? So, Derek Carr didn't have the best game. Uh, we're not going to be 100% fading Derek Carr. But now, I mean, the media just yesterday. I mean, folks, if you watch that pregame show, there was nothing but uh, praise and gushing over Derek Carr. All we're just saying is that we do this every single day and every single week, and we break down everybody. I just think the, the media is now finally catching up on what we've been saying all along on Derek Carr, but this is the wrong time to do it. This is not, it was the wrong time to do it. Because we know how the Raiders progress through their seasons. And we just saw it two years in a row. So we're expecting it to, the same thing to happen here. And we kind of got kind of got that early glimpse that the same thing is going to happen. That the Raiders are going to flounder in the back half of the season. Obviously, we don't want that. I would love to see Derek Carr be great and get into the playoffs. Uh, tight end university. Darren Waller is one of the best tight ends. You don't think I want to see Darren Waller in a playoff game in the Super Bowl? Um, I would buy a Darren Waller jersey if he got to the Super Bowl. He doesn't even have to win it. I would buy the game. I would buy the jersey and wear it for the game we love the tight ends out here and folks we don't knock players and teams like that I know y'all are fans of the teams and y'all put I mean I put a lot of energy into the Dolphins folks I put that aside for the show but, um, you know, I get it. That's your favorite team, and we're not talking about them in the most positive light, but I'm just giving you an unbiased outside observer un uh, unobjective breakdown of what we're seeing. We're not actively trying to hurt y'all out there or hurt these players. We're just see saying what we're seeing out here unobjectively, folks. So I just think the national media is um, a little bit over on what they should be um, on Derek Carr in this Raiders team. I think it showed last night. So Derek Carr, uh, not great. Dink and dunk, only 196 yards. He had two touchdowns. He did have an interception as well. The interception came in the fourth quarter when they were down 28-14. to 14. I believe it was Jerwin Jer uh, James uh, uh, goes out and jumps around and picks it off. Uh, only about three minutes left, so it's down 14 points with three minutes. It's kind of over at that point, so that interception doesn't hold that much weight overall here. Uh, so we're not going to knock Derek Carr too much on that pick, but we will knock him on you know all these three and outs, three and out to start the game, second drive, three and out, third drive, three and out, fourth drive was that turnover on downs that he dinked it down on fourth and three. Second drive went uh, six plays, 33 yards, ends in a punt, and then the last drive, three and out again. So just could not move the ball in the first half, and they just unfortunate. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can bring this dink up really quickly. We got 11.41 in the second quarter. Let me see if I can bring it up quickly. If we can't, we'll move on. No worries. Um, <clears throat> Just a little bit of a dink. Just a little dink on fourth and on fourth and three. Uh, that's not when you should be dinking down the ball. What is that? What is that? Um, all right. So let's see if we can get this up. What do we say? Eleven forty-one. What's the time here? What do we got? What do we, what's the time on the clock? Um, all right. All right. Skip ahead a little bit. We'll give it twenty more seconds. All right. We're we're right here almost. <clears throat> we're at ten thirty-one. 
That's why, I mean, when they don't have the plays up, we just got to scroll through a three-hour broadcast, folks. So, no worries there. And this is what we have to do for the tight end show. We have to go through all these plays because by Tuesday, they don't have the uh, all 22. And you can just click on the play and it brings you to it. So, we have to scroll a little bit. But uh, we are getting there, folks. We are getting there 10 seconds at a time. And here we go. We just want to show the dink. All right, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be the dink, folks. Here we go. He's dinking it. This is after the replay. So, everything, I mean, you can go right here over the middle of the field. Why is Derek Carr? This is at the first down boundary. Go to there, the first down. You get this wide receiver breaking out. Seems like he's got some solid leverage right here that Derek Carr can fit it in. But then he just dinks it down to the running back after the linebacker is already going there to shut it down because he sees it coming. And he just dinks it down. Folks, we're talking about one, two, three yards behind the line of scrimmage on a fourth and three. So you just made a fourth and three, a fourth and six with your running back having to elude two oncoming fast as heck great Chargers defenders. So this is what we talk about with the dink and dunk. If you get too caught up in the dink and dunk, especially early on in the game, when you don't kind of set that kind of, all right, what can I do? Set that kind of, um, oh man, I'm just blanking on the word. Set that kind of... A precedent. Let me set the precedent early on in the game. Take those chances. Take those shots down the field. Trust my guys so they're warmed up and they're ready for the times where they have to step up in the big scenarios. And a fourth and three uh, is kind of a big scenario. So they weren't ready for it. Derek Carr wasn't ready for it. Derek Carr was not able to kind of trust his arm to see what he could do up until this point because we're talking about three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. So he gets too caught up with the dink and dunk and then dink it off on fourth down in three and the running back barely gets back to the line of scrimmage and that's a turnover on downs because of the dink and dunk by Derek Carr you have to understand where you are in the field what the down and distance is what those kind of mojo plays are this was a huge mojo moment play folks right here early on in the first half and he goes and squanders it and they don't do anything for the rest of the first half it all starts with this mojo moments mojo plays and Derek Carr didn't recognize it and they kind of lose the game kind of because of it you can kind of trace it back a little bit to this a little bit so that's just what we mean with dink and dunk folks I get it you don't have to say folks like y'all just y'all love to live for like the Twitter dunks oh my god he didn't say this so I can say this and then he's kind of wrong or incorrect no I get it it's already taken apart into our algorithm it's already taken apart into our thinking this is why we do the show every single day to see what is happening alright we get this one great performance by a quarterback alright well now it's you know Sunday so now the, you know we liked what we saw on Thursday by this one quarterback but now it's Sunday so what are they all doing? Oh, they're doing a little bit better, a little bit more. Oh, they did this instead of that, like the one quarterback did. So now we have to change our thinking about that Thursday night quarterback because we just saw what the Sunday quarterbacks all did. And then it comes to the Monday game. And now we have to, you know, reflect our thinking because we just got Derek Carr dinking and dunking on fourth down and three. What quarterbacks didn't do that? Are they a little bit better? What happens? We take it all and we talk football an hour and a half, two hours every single day here and just constantly not change our overall 
like uh, minds, but cr like critiquing and seeing what we're doing and actively thinking and actively comparing every single day, every single week and going back and seeing what they did last season. Are they still doing the same things in the same scenarios? Are they growing? Are they getting better? Are they regressing? That's what we do. We are actively learning here, actively not 100% changing our mind, but we're getting all this information, all this information in every single day and in depth and breaking it down and then we form our opinions based all of all this changing information every single day we get more information about urban meyer coming out every single day every single day and it reaffirms our belief of hey he lost the locker room by kind of signing tim tebow and now it's all kind of coming back out that you know reaffirms our belief so now our thinking is right on par so we can still say those narratives, still say those things, still say those opinions because it's getting proved a couple of months later. Once again, always going back, always reevaluating, always kind of learning and taking in all the information. That's what we do here on the show, folks. Y'all in the national media just take one opinion and run with it because it gets clicks and it's, oh, it's the Raiders, it's the Chiefs, it's the Bucks, it's the big name. I'm just going to run with it, run with it, and they don't change it. That's why all the media is on Derek Carr and the Raiders when really we should be fading them a little bit. I'm not saying be 100% soul or like selling this Raiders team, but just not as much as the national media is, folks. That's what we do here every day, looking, learning, what the hell is going on, breaking it down, what does it all mean? That's what we do here every day, folks. If you don't know, after the last year and a couple of months, this is what we do here on the show, folks. All right, I don't even know where we were. That tangent, it got us. It got us good. The dink and dunk. All right, so Derek Carr was dinking and dunking the game, folks. All right, um, let's uh, look at the running backs here for the Raiders. Josh Jacobs, 13 carries for 40 yards, no touchdown. Uh, he did go this game, which, you know, he was kind of a game-time decision. He kind of screwed me on fantasy because I didn't think he was going to go, so I had to put Miles Gaskin in, and Miles Gaskin got me one point, and Josh Jacobs got me, like, 16 points, and I would have won. So, Josh Jacobs, damn you, but okay. Um, but, yeah, Josh Jacobs, not too impactful here, unfortunate. But he did play, 13 carries, 40 yards, nothing great, nothing bad, and, you know, definitely didn't jumpstart this offense at all. Uh, so unfortunate there by Josh Jacobs. Let's see who Derek Carr was throwing to. Henry Ruggs, three receptions for 60 yards, no touchdown. Darren Waller, four catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. Hunter Renfro, six catches for 45 yards and a touchdown, and he had that big old uh, fake punt tackle that saved the first down so Hunter Renfro getting it done in every kind of aspect of the game so you absolutely love that by him uh, but just in the receiving game just never really clicked together in this game against the Chargers defense and then uh, we get Josh Jacobs five catches out of the backfield for 17 yards as well and look at this Willie Sneed getting into the mix one reception for 15 yards so they've got all the pieces they just couldn't quite put it together last night unfortunately all right, now let's look at Justin Herbert. And once again, Justin Herbert didn't look as great as everybody was hyping him up to be. We love Justin Herbert, folks. I mean, we, you know, highly kind of rank him as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But once again, I think the national media, yes, yesterday was overvaluing Justin Herbert a little bit. And we love Justin Herbert. So relax a little bit. But. Justin Herbert didn't have the best performance last night. A little bit of, you know, dink and dunk himself, not truly airing it out. 25 of 38 for 65% completion percentage. Real solid right there. Only 222 yards, but he did have three touchdowns. He got out to a really nice start. Scoring on the first drive is something we absolutely love right there. So that's fantastic, especially at home, truly setting the tempo. 
<clears throat> and then applying two more touchdowns right before halftime on back-to-back drives. That's absolutely fantastic. And taking advantage of kind of all the three and outs there by the Raiders. So Justin Herbert played pretty solid in the first half, scored when he needed to, got that big lead, you know, struggled to move the ball a little bit in the second half, but then ended up putting kind of a game-winning touchdown drive on the board. So real solid work by, there by Justin Herbert, and that's kind of, you know, why we buy Justin Herbert. He's been really clutch here, um, you know, the last um, – what was it, the last like seven games of the season last year, he won about six of them and now this season he's being very competitive, winning these close games almost beat Dak Prescott, only lost by what, three points there to Dallas, a really solid team, and then last week beating the Chiefs, and then this week being clutch and beating the Raiders, so Justin Herbert is proving that he can win games and he's um, not trying to do too much, and he knows those mojo moments, he knows when he needs to go out and make that play he knows when he go needs to go out and kind of make that touchdown and not settle for three and truly score seven instead of kicking the field goal for only three points and when to kind of go on this long drive. I mean, in the second half, we had, you know, the Raiders coming out with two straight touchdown drives. The Chargers came out with two straight punts. Then the Raiders come out on their third drive out of halftime and miss a field goal. And that's when Justin Herbert knew, all right, we're at great field position. We got this momentum back. We can ice the game. And then he goes on a five-minute drive that caps off with the touchdown. That's mojo moment right there to AT. And Justin Herbert uh, can recognize it. He picks up a nice... Fourth and two, folks. He picked up a fourth and two to Jared Cook, and we're going to watch that play because we're going to celebrate Jared Cook today um, in the tight end department. So that was fantastic by him on fourth and two to pick it up. But that mojo moment, Justin Herbert, he knows it, and he can definitely play to it. So fantastic. All right, so Justin Herbert, a solid performance. Nothing great, nothing bad. Got it done when he needed to, so that's fantastic. The rushing game, Austin Eckler is proving fantastic. We've always loved Austin Eckler. Great in the dual threat running back position. Rushing the ball, 15 carries for 117 yards and a touchdown. That was absolutely fantastic. And then they had their other running back, Larry Roundtree the third. Not the best performance. 11 carries for 31 yards. But you got Austin Eckler to do the bulk of the work. All right, and then who was Justin Herbert throwing to? Jared Cook, the tight end, the leading receiver here for the Chargers. Six receptions for 70 yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen, seven catches for 36 yards. Then we had Stephon Anderson, one catch for 34 yards. Austin Eckler in the dual threat game, three catches, 28 yards, and a touchdown. Fantastic. Justin Jackson, four catches, 17 yards. And then Donald Parham. Parham Two catches, 17 yards, and a touchdown as well. So, uh, Donald Parman is a tight end, correct? He is. Look at that man getting into it. So, Justin Herbert relying on his tight ends here. Safety blankets. All right, no worries, no big deal. He ends up coming away with the win. Fantastic. Just not able to kind of hit his downfield wide receivers in Keenan Allen and um, Mike Williams that much. So. And once again, a little reflected in the only 222 yards on 25 completions. It's a little bit of dink and dunk, but he dinked and dunked it right. Not like Derek Carr. There is different. There is nuance, folks. There is nuance in everything we truly say. Um, it's not just binary. Oh, well, you said dink and dunk, so you don't know what you're talking about. It's not It's not that, folks. It's different levels. It's nuance, nuances to the dink and dunk. And we saw Justin Herbert do it right and Derek Carr not to do it correctly. It was last night, folks. That's what it was. 
Um, so the Chargers get the nice 28 to 14 win. Well done by Justin Herbert. Once again, a no turnover game, which is fantastic. After you know two interceptions against the Cowboys, no interceptions against the Chiefs, no interceptions here against the Raiders. Fantastic cleaning up his game. We love it. So that was the Chargers and the Raiders. Chargers win 28 to 14. Um, alrighty. Now that we broke down the Monday night, Monday night football game, we got some tight ends to celebrate, folks. Woof, our weekly tight end Tuesday here at Takes by Fans. You gotta love it. Takes by Fans, tight ends Tuesdays, folks. How about that for alliteration? Alright, so we are going week, week by week here. Trying to find the best tight end in the league, folks. And how we are going to decide that is grading all their performances on a week-to-week -week basis. Now, you only kind of get picked here um, if you're doing better than every other tight end. So, uh, we got kind of the best tight end performances here that kind of resulted into helping them win the game. If you lose the game and it's close, we can still celebrate you here on the list, but we're looking for who put in the most impactful performances here. So, obviously, we're not doing every single tight end. Uh, but uh, what do we got? How many tight ends we got this week? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and I think we've got like four like new tight ends that haven't made this list all season long. Truly showing out here in week four, so we absolutely love that. So we give these tight ends a letter grade right here, and then at the end of the season we tally up all those letter grades, and that's what we're trying to find out here: the best tight end in the league, and we will give them the summa cum laude honor since they're graduating tight end university. So you get that big old honor. So that's what we are trying to figure out here as the season progresses and we do this every single Tuesday folks uh, looking at what the tight ends did the prior week so let's start celebrating some tight ends in the first tight end up this week and man oh man this man is truly coming alive and coming up big and clutch here for this Cowboys team we got a shout out tight end Dal uh, Dalton Schultz right here absolutely fantastic he just made the the Dalton Schultz uh, just made the list for the first time last week got an A minus for his uh, performance so let's see what he follows up this A minus performance with last week this week so here we go Dalton Schultz Let's get his overall stats here. Uh, he was the second leading receiver for the Cowboys, and that's great company when you're, you know, trying to vie with Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Oh, that's great. So he had six catches for 58 yards, and he scored a touchdown. Fantastic. So let's uh, we got some plays queued up here that he absolutely got it done in. And the first one up here is a first-quarter touchdown drive that he helped on. He didn't score the touchdown himself, but his play helped move the sticks, helped pick up the first down helped move the ball down the field and it and resulted in a scoring touchdown on the first drive second drive second drive of the game so here we go let's uh, watch this play by Dalton Schultz and see what he does here we go first quarter 0-0 game 10 minutes left they're at the Panthers 38 yard line and look at Dak Prescott nowhere to go with the ball and there's Dalton Schultz off the right side absolutely 100% wide open and watch Dalton Schultz right here he just kind of blocks and releases he kind of goes out to the flat he sees he's actively watching Dak Prescott Dak Prescott's looking to the left Dalton Schultz is all all by his lonesome to the right and what does Dalton Schultz do seeing that his quarterback is kind of struggling where to go with the ball he claps his hands hey I'm open baby and that gets that gets Derek um 
uh, Dak Prescott's attention. He dumps it off. He picks up the first down and five, about five to ten yards more. Picking up the first down, getting closer to the red zone. But that's what, you know, tight ends are supposed to do. Hey, be safety blankets, be down the field the threats. They need to do it all. And Dalton Schultz, hey, 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 I'm right here. I'm right here. Get, gets Dak Prescott's attention, picks up the first down. Absolutely fantastic. So they're able to cap off a touchdown off of this great catch by Dalton Schultz. Fantastic. All right, next one up here. Um, this is, what do we got? Another help touchdown drive here. Let's, uh, or this is a two-point conversion that uh, they didn't give our man here. A little disrespectful. So let's watch Dalton Schultz here on this two-point conversion. He doesn't pick it up. Unfortunate. Very, very close here. Let's see. So here we go. Um... Right on the one-yard line, they were going to kick the uh, just the extra point, but the Panthers had like an offsides or something, so it moves it to the one, so they decide to go for it, and Dalton Schultz catches it on the one-yard line, but just can't extend over the goal line. Dang you, Dalton Schultz. Come on, come on. You got to represent tight end university a little bit more. We can watch the replay right here. Very close. A little underthrown by Dak Prescott. Dalton Schultz has to kind of reach back a little bit for the ball, and then just gets hit as soon as he catches and tough to uh, extend that ball over the goal line. We can watch it right here. Knee's going to be down right now, and it's close. They don't give it to him. It's real gosh dang close. Truly unfortunate there by Dalton Schultz, but still mm, mm, a nice weapon out there. Unfortunately, couldn't get that two-point conversion. All righty, now we are going to go to his... Did I have this not upright? Yeah, I don't think we had this up right. Okay, uh, so we got to back this up a little bit. Uh, we have to watch this drive. It didn't have just uh, not just the uh, two point conversion miss. Uh, but let's go to thirty one thirty. Okay, here we go. Dalton Schultz on this drive. It's a tie 7-7 game here in the first quarter still. Let's see what Dalton Schultz does. Here we go. Second and 10 from their own 25-yard line. Tie game 7-7. Dalton Schultz. Boom. And they try to get him with a fumble here. He gets the catch in the first down. Bingo, bango. But he's down, folks. This is not a fumble. These tight ends do not fumble. Relax out here. They try to get our man for two fumbles out here. You can't hold down the tight end. So they review this play. And uh, his knee is down. And then he drops the ball. And that's what they teach at tight end university. As soon as your knee's down, yeah, throw the ball away. We don't care. <laughs> you just don't. Don't throw the ball away before your knee comes down. So his knee is down. They tried to get our man with the fumble. That man don't fumble. So that's great right there. And then later on this drive, we got to skip to 36-56. So here we go. Dalton Schultz again. Let's see what he can do here. Here we go. So on the same drive right here, Dalton Schultz catches the ball on first and 10 and gets about eight yards. And once again, they try to get our man with another fumble out here. But they rule forward. Progress was stopped. Do I agree with the call? I'm not. I'm going to plead the fifth right here at tight end university. I am not going to incriminate these tight ends out here. But in the box score, it's not a fumble. So we don't care. He catches the ball right here. Gets the first down or gets close to it. I think he's a one yard short. It gets driven into the ground. They say forward momentum was stopped. And we agree with these fantastic referees out here. Because he did lose control of the ball before he hit the ground. But his forward progress was stopped. So not a fumble. So Dalton Schultz, great on this drive. Not fumbling and moving the ball and helping them out. And then 
We get 46-36, which was the two-point conversion. Unfortunate fail right there, but he's helping scoring on this drive. So fantastic to Dalton Schultz on two touchdown drives. He's a huge uh, component of moving the ball. And then it culminates with him scoring his own touchdown. He helped everybody else get theirs, and now it's time for the big dog, the tight ends, to get their own and eat it up. So here we go. Let's see. Let's start to hear a play before his touchdown because we can celebrate Zeke a little bit. Let's celebrate Zeke a little bit here. I know he's not a tight end, but look at this big old run right here. He gets it at midfield, and he goes right up the middle, spurts out to the right, one man to beat, and gets knocked out at the five-yard line. You got to feed Zeke, baby, and everybody's clowning Zeke in the media and in the fan base. We don't do that over here. We know this man is great. We don't get you know uh, so overhyped off of one not-so-great performance that we instantly say everybody's trash out here but well done by Zeke Elliott for this big run that sets up the tight ends usually it's a tight end setting up everybody else but this time it's Zeke setting up the tight ends so let's watch Dalton Schultz score this ball from the six yard line here first and goal from the six in the second half to make it a two possession game and just this is too easy you're not guarding you're not blocking you're not covering the tight ends in the red zone what are you nuts do you not understand tight end university come on do you not watch takes by fans we celebrate these tight ends we know they're gonna get it done in the red zone that's their red zone target the big beefy that can get open tight ends in space that's what they do they get open in the red zone so here he is right on the end right here gets down let's see what he does here he fakes the block and then just spurts out nobody even close to him. Dak sees it immediately, puts it right on him, and that's just an easy walk-in touchdown. So very well done by Dalton Schultz. Helps out on 21 points right here, scores seven of his own, second leading receiver here for the Cowboys, and we're going to give him a real solid another A-minus performance right here for week four. Very well done, Dalton Schultz. I'm going to keep, let's keep, everybody, please click off the video besides Dalton Schultz. I need to talk to him one-on-one -on -one for a second, so I'll let everybody leave. I'll give you all a second. Turn it off, skip forward a couple of seconds, uh, stop the show, whatever you all got to do. If your name is not Dalton Schultz, please stop listening. Dalton, what the hell are you doing out there? You you basically fumbled twice. I had to kind of go for bat, go to bat for you and kind of, you know, say I'll plead the fifth and all that, but clean those up, please, because I don't want to see you fumbling again because we just had to give somebody an F-minus last week. Who do we give an F-minus to last week? Logan Thomas. You want to be Logan Thomas, get an F-minus at tight end university? The laughing stock of the of the college. Come on, so clean up those fumbles. All right, I don't want to go for. I can't put my uh, my integrity on the line again for you. Okay, so hold on to the balls, please. All right, everybody else can come back in and listen. All right. Um, yeah, so, all right, Dalton Schultz, fantastic. A-minus grade for last week. All right, next tight end up here that we got to celebrate is the tight end from Buffalo, folks, Dawson Knox. And so far, Dawson Knox has just gotten on the list last week with an A-minus performance. So let's see what he is looking like this week and what his grade is going to be this week at tight end university. Alrighty, first play up right here. It's his touchdown, baby. So, and he gets going early on. He scored two touchdowns. Let's bring up his stats here and then we'll watch the film. 
But Dawson Knox for the Bills, he was the third leading receiver with five catches for 37 yards and two touchdowns, baby. Josh Allen only had two passing touchdowns, and they went both to Dawson Knox, one in the first quarter to start their scoring and one in the fourth quarter to really ice the game. So here we go, the fourth quarter, the first quarter touchdown here, 0-0 game. The Bills at the Texans' 25-yard line, and there's two minutes left in the first quarter, folks. You know, they're struggling to put up points here in the first quarter, but it's Dawson Knox wide open over the middle of the field. Let's watch it. Here we go. Third and two. Josh Allen. Pump fake. Gets wide open. He catches this one at the 10-yard line. He gets hit, but he stays on his feet, and he's able to rumble and bumble down 10 remaining yards to score the ball. That's what they teach at tight end university. Catching the ball. Catching the ball. Breaking the tackle. Staying on your feet. Crossing the plane. Crossing the goal line for seven points. Helping out your quarterback. They teach all that at tight end university, and Dawson Knox used every everything that he was taught there, and he used it here on this one play. Here he is, just right over the middle. Fantastic. Takes the hit. It won't stop him. Boom. Touchdown. 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 Fantastic. Alrighty, and then he scores again in the fourth quarter. And the Bills are only up 19 to nothing. If the Texans had like a competent quarterback out here, this would have been a little bit of a more competitive game right here, especially in the fourth quarter. So this is a true ice here. It puts them up 27 points, 26-0 right there. And they're, you know, they they basically won the game up to this point, but this is truly the nail in the coffin of kind of what we're saying about the Bills kind of leaving the door open a little bit to some lackluster opponents and they got the Chiefs this week, so hopefully they can close the door early. But Dawson Knox out here in the fourth quarter, third and goal from the one-yard line. Dawson Knox comes into motion right here at the end of the right side of the line. Fakes the block, goes out, and once again just left wide open like we just saw Dalton Schultz. So I don't know what these defensive coordinators are doing. Why are you leaving tight ends 100% wide open in the end zone. So once again they teach that at tight end university to fake the block, show that you're going to block and then go out for the route. The defense all bites on it and he's able to be wide open in the end zone. So well done by Dawson Knox. Two big old touchdowns right there to start the scoring, to really kind of put away the game. So Dawson Knox we're going to give an A- minus performance for week 3. Fantastic. For week four, excuse me, week four. Uh, fantastic. Uh, very well done by Dawson Knox. All right. Now we got another, a new first-timer here. So I want everybody to put their hands together for this first-time tight end coming on the tight end university list out here. And give it up for tight end Mo Ali Cox from the Indianapolis Colts, folks. Absolute impressive game here by Mo Ali Cox. He was the third-leading receiver for the Colts this week. Three catches for 42 yards and two touchdowns. So he had three catches, two went for touchdowns. What did the other one look like? Well, it was a big play, and we got them all queued up here. So, his first play up here is a big old play. So, he has three catches. We're going to watch them all. Here we go with the first catch. The Colts struggling to score the ball here in Miami. They're down 3 nothing with Three minutes and 50 seconds left in the second quarter. They're at midfield at second and six. Carson Wentz, play action pass, and he finds Mo Ali Cox wide open at the Dolphins 35 yard line. Getting open and finding the soft spot of the zone is what they teach at Tight End University, and that's Mo Ali Cox, baby. Getting in there, learning, finding the soft spot of the zone, and uh, they are able to go down and score. What do they score on this drive? They get three or seven out of it. They get 
They get seven points out of it. So Mo Alley Cox, a big catch right there, brings them into Dolphins territory, and it's all because of Mo Alley Cox. They're able to put up seven points. So well done there. But now it's time for him to score. He wants to score as well. Fantastic. So let's go to his first touchdown right here. Um, what is this play? What do we got at this play? I think I've got these uh, pre queued up. Uh, what is this? We got a pass here by Jacoby Brissett. Oh, we're watching Mike Kosicki. Okay, I forgot. Um, okay, uh, but let's go back to uh, Mo Alley Cox. We still got to watch his touchdowns. So the first Mo Alley Cox touchdown, we already got it queued up here. So let's click this. Here we go. Mo Alley Cox, first touchdown catch right here. It's 7 3. So the last time we saw the Colts score, they used Mo Alley Cox, and now it's eight minutes left in the third quarter, and we're back to Mo Alley Cox scoring the ball himself. So here we go. Third and goal. You don't kick this, you got to get the field goal to make it a 10 3 game. Mo Alley Cox wants to make it a 14 3 game. So here we go. Third and goal from the two yard line of Miami. Mo Alley Cox, once again, wide open. We saw Dawson Knox wide wide open. We saw Dalton Schultz wide open on the goal line. And Mo Alley Cox is like, yep, I'm a tight end and I know what they do. I know how to play the tight end role. And he's wide open here at the goal line as well. Look at that. Nobody even blocks him. Nobody even blocks Mo Alley Cox right here. He fakes the end. He goes out wide open. I mean, we're talking about 10 yards separation, folks. Fantastic. Mo Alley Cox getting it done. But he's not done, folks. Mo Alley Cox wants one more touchdown to his name. So here we go. Mo Alley Cox back in the red zone here. The Colts are up 20 to 10. Dolphins are starting to make what seems to be maybe a comeback. And Mo Alley Cox says, nah, ah, ah, nah, ah, ah. I'm ready to close out the game, putting the nail in the coffin. What we love to see here at Takes by Fans. So here we go. Third and goal again, again in the red zone. Mo Alley Cox from the 11 yard line. Let's see how he scores this one. Carson Wentz fires left side. And there it is. Mo Alley Cox against the safety. Eric. Row, boom, jump ball 50 50. And let's watch Mo Alley Cox truly extend right here. Ooh, full extension. Go up and get that ball. We love quarterbacks throwing 50 50 balls in the end zone to their playmakers. And Mo Alley Cox, you better gosh darn believe, is a playmaker. Let's get the height advantage here. Mo Alley Cox, the tight end versus Eric Rowe, the safety, because we just saw him absolutely go up Megatron style and say, Give me this ball. 50 50 battle. He catches it. So let's see Mo Alley Cox height. What are we talking? 6'4", six, 6'6". Six, six. What are we talking for Mo Alley Cox out here? We got 6'5". Fantastic. And he's going against the safety, Eric Rowe. I can guarantee Eric Rowe is not 6'5". He may be 6'1", max. But let's see what he's going against here and why this is such a great matchup in the red zone for Carson Wentz to exploit. Here we go, Eric Rowe. 6-1, 6-5 for 6-1, and 6-5-1 as clear as day right here all day long. This is 6-5 versus 6-1. Look at that. Strong hands. Strong hands. Mo Alley Cox, look at that. Not even bobbling the ball as he's kind of recovering, going back towards the ground. Fantastic. Strong ass hands. And for that, Mo Cali, Mo Cali, Mo Mo Alley Cox exploding onto the scene here. Are y'all ready for what we're about to give him as the grade? 
We're giving him an A plus, yes sir, helping out, scoring, um, putting away the game, third and goals on the red zone, man oh man, big time ability right here, that's an A plus baby, two scores and clutch as heck, Mo Ali Cox, welcome to the summa cum laude list out here for your A plus performance, fantastic. Alrighty, we don't really kind of focus too much on uh, tight ends that come from the losing team unless they do something fantastic. We did uh, give Mike Kosicki a grade last week for his overtime performance against the Raiders. We ended up giving him an A- minus for that grade. And uh, once again, he has a fantastic kind of late game performance here. So let's see what we can give him here. Uh, but here we go. Mike Kosicki, five catches for 57 yards. And, uh, you know, he was trying to do his damnedest to bring them back down in the fourth quarter when they were down 20-3. to And Mike Kosicki, you know, they've got no quarterback here, so nobody can give him the ball. But Mike Kosicki is an honorable tight end out here and deserves a lot more recognition. Unfortunately, the Dolphins just don't have a quarterback at the current moment. Uh, so here we go. Let's watch Mike Kosicki, a couple of plays up here. So here we go, the first one. It's going to be back-to-back -back plays right here. Jacoby Brissett scrambling out of the pocket, finding Mike Kosicki for about only five yards, but this is to jumpstart the drive. They're down 20-3, to and then Jacoby Brissett on the next play going to Mike Kosicki again, and now Mike Kosicki brings this Dolphins team to the 50-yard line, folks. And then he gets down into the red zone. Let's get forward a little bit. He gets down into the red zone, and he finally scores, folks. Finally, when this offense can move the ball. So he had two plays leading up to this touchdown. And then on fourth and goal, Mike Kosicki just coming all the, all the way across the field. And once again, this is why we say he has no quarterback. I mean, look how wide open he is. And this ball is absolutely thrown behind Mike Kosicki. But on fourth and goal, he will not be denied this touchdown. Um, way behind thrown ball right there. You see him twist his body. He stumbles into the end zone. But it's Mike Kosicki finally getting this offense jump-started. Very well done. He scores the touchdown. But he's not done just quite yet, folks. Just quite yet. We've got one more play here. So here we go. Trying to come back down again. Again in this game. Trying to do something. Let's get the play queued up. Here we go. Another touchdown drive that Mike Kosicki helps in, folks. He helps it out. So here we go. Let's queue up this play. Here we go. Mike Kosicki. All right. Here we go. We're coming up to it. Here we go. The Dolphins got first and 10. This is a Devontae Parker highlight. Getting open. All right, but here we go. First and 10. In Colts territory, going down the middle of the field. Mike Kosicki bringing them down to the 10-yard line. And the Dolphins down 17 points here. Game's basically over, but, you know, never giving up and trying to get the most of it. And, you know, finally, we know we've seen this over the last two weeks. The offense does, the Dolphins' offense doesn't get jump-started until, you know, like the fourth quarter when the game's already over. But Mike Kosicki was trying his damnedest out here. And a great catch right there that leads to a touchdown uh, to make it 27-17 to the final score. But Mike Kosicki trying his damnedest. So we give credit to Mike Kosicki for trying. Unfortunate they lose. And he didn't get jump-started to the fourth quarter. Not all his fault. Jacoby Brissett, the most of the blame right there. The offensive coordinator is the other half of the blame right there. But uh, we'll give Mike Kosicki a nice C-plus grade right here. 
battling to the fourth quarter and never giving up. And that's definitely what they teach there at tight end university, never giving up. Absolutely. And Mike Kosicki is no different. All right, Mike Kosicki, very well done for your C+. All righty, next game up here in the tight end that we got a shout out here is for the Arizona Cardinals and Mike Williams, or Max Williams, excuse me. Oh, man, I just committed some blasphemy right there, uh, disrespecting a tight end's name. Sheesh, that's not what we do here. But here we go, Max Williams, third leading receiver here for the Cardinals. Five catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Absolutely love it. So let's watch some of these plays right here. First quarter touchdown drive. He did not score this ball himself, but he helped lead this drive that resulted into a touchdown. So Cardinals up seven or down seven to ten in the red zone right here, second and thirteen. Let's see what Max Williams does here down in the red zone. Here we go. Kyler Murray drops back to pass. Max Williams over the middle of the field. And there it is. Touchdown, Max Williams. This is a touchdown. Excuse me. Uh, touchdown, Max Williams over the middle of the field. Look at him catch this ball. Woof. No, he's, he's going to take a big old hit because he's right over the middle of the field. And there's a safety right there. Has to go up and catch this ball. And he does. He holds on to it. And that's a touchdown. And he helps this Cardinals team on the road against a division opponent that we had as the number one team in the league, the Rams. And he goes and makes a big old catch there to retake the lead 14 to 10. Absolutely fantastic. And then we get another touchdown drive here by the Cardinals and Max Williams. So let's cue up this play. And see what Max Williams is going to do for us here on this drive that results into a touchdown, folks. So here we go. There, the Cardinals are up 27 to 13, looking to kind of ice this game out. They're in the Rams 33 yard line, and it's first and ten. Max Williams, what do you got for us? Here we go. Play action pass by Kyler Murray, and it's just a setup tight end screen. He takes it 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 yards down into the 8, 7 yard line right there. That sets up this set up a touchdown. It does set up a touchdown. Fantastic. But let's just watch this man block and release right here block and release on the tight end screen here he is he's gonna sell it fantastic here we go kind of blocks for a second and then shows and now everything is set up perfectly and these fast tight ends now following the blockers getting them inside the 10 yard line to kind of truly ice this game making it 34 to 13 in the fourth quarter game over max williams great performance right here is this his first time on our tight end list? No, he had an A for his week two performance, and we're going to give him another A for his week three performance right here. Great performance when they needed a score. Ices out the game on the road, division opponent, best team in the league, and he shows out. Fantastic. Max Williams, well done for your A grade. All right, four more tight ends to quickly go over. Here we go. Next tight end up is Mark Andrews. And this man, is he on this list? Where we got Mark Andrews at? Is Mark Andrews not on this list yet, folks? No, he is. He got an A- minus last week, and he's ready to continue these great performances at the tight end position. So let's go to the Ravens game for... 
our man Mark Andrews. So Mark Andrews was the third leading receiver here for the Ravens. Five catches for 67 yards, and he has some gosh dang good ones. He didn't score any touchdowns, but he helped set up multiple touchdowns out here and multiple scores for this Ravens team for them to get the win. So let's queue up this first play right here. It's a second quarter touchdown drive, and it's Max Williams, baby, doing it himself. So here we go. Got this play queued up, and we get back-to-back -back plays by Mark Andrews on this drive. So here we go. Ravens down 7 nothing. first and 10 at midfield. Lamar Jackson wide open. Not even wide open. Decently covered, but he's able to find the ball, come back to it, and that's a nice 25-yard gain there. Mark Andrews getting open. Look at him going up and catching this ball, coming back towards the ball, hanging on to it, and bringing them down to the 22-yard line. This drive results in a touchdown, folks. Fantastic. But we get one more play here. So it's back-to-back -back plays going to Mark Andrews, and then they go to him on the right sideline. He picks up another first down now inside the 15-yard line, inside the 12, and they're able to score on the next play because Mark Andrews getting big plays right here to set him up in great field uh, territory. So well done there by Mark Andrews to get them in the touchdown. And then we get another touchdown drive here by Mark Andrews that sets it up. So let's watch this play coming in the second quarter. Okay, here we go. We're going to watch the punt return as well here because uh, it helps sets up Mark Andrews. Uh, so here we go. The Broncos punt it. It's a bad punt. Actually, it's a pretty good punt. <laughs> they punt it to the 35-yard uh, line, and then it's just a punt return for the Ravens going, crossing midfield, bringing the ball all the way down to the 25-yard line, and now it's Mark Andrews' turn. He's like, all right, the special teams is getting it done. Well, I can get it done too. So let's watch Mark Andrews here. Boom. We saw the end of it. Got to go back a little bit, but here we go. First and 10. They are up 14-7 to here. Lamar Jackson dropping back to pass, and he finds Mark. Mark Andrews wide open for the first down. Once again, getting them down to the 13-yard line. That's what Mark Andrews does, folks. And this results in a touchdown as well. This results in a touchdown. This results into a field goal, unfortunately, but still putting up points and able to get some points out of halftime and make it a two-possession game going into halftime. That's what Mark Andrews does for y'all. And then we get one more play up here. This should have been a touchdown for Mark Andrews. Unfortunately, a penalty calls it back. So let's watch what Mark Andrews should have had as his only touchdown of the game. So here we go. Gets wiped out by a flag. But here we go. The start of the fourth quarter. They're still up only 17 to 10. Still only up 17 to 10. So the Broncos can still come back. It's only a 10-point game with a full quarter to go. But Lamar Jackson has other ideas in mind. Rolling out all the way to the right sideline. And that's Mark Andrews wide open there in the end zone for the touchdown. That's what tight ends do, baby. They get wide open down the middle of the field, down into the end zone. Unfortunately, a penalty with a face mask, I believe. Gets it called back. It's not Mark Andrews committing this penalty. They don't call this. They don't teach this at 
tight end university grabbing face masks. They don't do that. They're too busy getting wide open down the field. So Mark Andrews, a real solid performance out here. Yeah, he didn't put up any points, but he helped score the ball a lot and should have had really kind of an, a clinching touchdown right there. Um, to start the fourth quarter. So Mark Andrews, another solid performance, and we're going to give him a B-plus out here. Very well done, Mark Andrews. Alrighty, next tight ends are coming from the Patriots. So we have to shout them out a little bit. This was a nice competitive game. Could have went either way, and the tight ends are responsible for both touchdowns right here. Um, touchdown? Yeah, touchdowns, yep. Uh, both passing touchdowns and only touchdowns for the Patriots coming from tight end. So let's shout them out a little bit. We get Hunter Henry and John New Smith. And I believe these are their first times on our tight end university list out here. I don't think they've made any big splashes up until this point. So put a nice hand together, a nice round of applause together for our two new tight ends joining the list out here. Hunter Henry and John New Smith. So the first touchdown here is by Hunter Henry. So Hunter Henry only had four catches for 32 yards, but he had a touchdown. And same thing with John o. Smith. Only three catches for 14 yards, but he had a touchdown in this close game. So we got to shout him out a little bit. So here we go. First touchdown here, Hunter Henry. Patriots are down 3 nothing in the second quarter. They're at the Bucks 11-yard line. And here we go. Mac Jones, pump fake. Looks right back over the middle, dumps it off about two yards short of the end zone, and then it's just Hunter Henry, too big, can't bring him down. He breaks the tackle, and he scores the touchdown. Fantastic. And now let's go to Jonu Smith and go to his touchdown catch. So very well done for Hunter Henry to get them off to a decent start. And now let's see what Jonu Smith does. Here we go. Let's set it up. So here we go. Patriots on the goal line. They're down six points, 13 to seven. Start of the fourth quarter, and then boom, it's play action. It's John o. Smith wide open in the back of the end zone, short hands, and Mac Jones puts it right on him. So both great jobs here by the tight end to score when they needed to, taking the lead in both instances. And uh, those were the only two touchdowns scored by the Patriots, going and relying on the tight ends. You got to love it. So Hunter Henry, welcome to the list. Let's get your name up here. And we're going to give you a solid B, a solid B for your week four performance. Very well done. Unfortunately, you don't win, so we can't bump it up a little bit more. And it was only one touchdown. So we, we, it's still a solid B, folks. It's a solid B. And then John U. Smith. Well done as well, and we're going to give him a B as well for his week for performance. If these, are, if this is a win, this kind of result in wins, maybe we bump it up to B pluses. Unfortunately, they're not. We leave them at Bs. Alrighty, and then the last tight end to go over that we just saw last night, folks. Absolutely fantastic. We got to shout out Jared Cook. He was trying his damnedest out here to help this Chargers team, and he was the leading wide receiver, leading receiver here for the Chargers. Six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown, and he made big old plays in this game. Yes, the touchdown, but he also had the big play that really iced the game as well in the fourth quarter. So let's watch what this man did. So here we go. First quarter touchdown drive. He helps them out here. Here we go. We get a second and six. Chargers down, uh, tied 0-0 trying to do something in this game, trying to do something on their first drive, and they go to Jared Cook here deep down the field and once again wide open, bringing them into Raiders territory at the 40-yard line is just Jared Cook, and we know that this man is 6'6", I believe. 
and but boom that uh, that big extension and you can throw the ball a little bit high down the field and using that to his advantage there for Justin Herbert but uh let's get the height here for Jerry Cook I'm almost certain he's 66 65 okay uh, I think he's 66 I think NFL is being a little uh, generous a little not generous I should say but, um, yeah, very well done. It caps off on a touchdown. It picks up the first down on second and six. It's a big spot there by Jared Cook finding the soft spot of the zone. And let's watch this man just run this route. Here he goes. He's lined up on the end of the line. He just goes, not blocking and releasing. Nobody picks him up. And he just finds that soft spot of the zone. Boom. Makes the big old catch right there. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah, we get slow-mo extension. Oh, look at that. Oh, slow-mo extension. Woof. He can go up and catch the ball. Sure hands. All right, now let's go to his touchdown. I believe this is his actual touchdown catch. So let's go to this. We get a minute or an hour, 33 minutes, 41 seconds. All right, but here we go. All right, Chargers still up 7-0 here in the second quarter in the red zone. Here we go. Jared Cook from the 10-yard line. What can he do? Justin Herbert looking for him and finds him. Boom, once again, big catch there. Decently open, about three-yard separation. And it's Jared Cook in the back of the end zone, making it a 14-0 game here for the Chargers, getting out to a solid start here, putting up the points. And they're looking for Jared Cook on all these drives that put up points because he's great out here. And just look at this. Great job. And once again, He's jumping. He's 6'5". You can float the ball to get it over those linebackers. And if there is a safety close, there's no chance that he can come up and make a play with the ball because we're talking about 6'5 over here. So Jared Cook goes up and gets the ball. Fantastic. And then we've got the kind of ice. This was a huge ice play. The ice the game by Jared, Go by Jared Cook comes two hours and 51 minutes into the game. So let's uh, get to this moment. This drive results into the game icing touchdown, but they go to Jared Cook first. So let's get to 251.44. All right, one more 10-second fast forward, and we shall be there. So here we go. Game is a little in reach, 21-14. Here we go. Chargers trying to do something here. Fourth quarter, eight minutes left. Nine minutes left, and it's fourth and two. Fourth and two at midfield. One possession game. Who do they go to? Who do you trust? Well, of course you trust your tight ends. Jared Cook, boom, lofts it down. Jump ball opportunity one-on-one, -on -one, and they went well beyond the two yards. They were like, we're going to go a little bit deep, and we're going to trust our man. But there it is, another jump ball there, well covered. But it's Jared Cook, 6'5". Yeah, 6'5", go up and throw it up a little bit, and just have him go up and catch the ball. There is no defender that can jump with this man, folks. So let's watch this one more time here on the replay. Jared Cook, a little bit of an out and up. And there it is, reaching over the defender to catch that ball. We get one more replay. I want a, I want a different angle. Oh, yeah, here we go. Perfect, perfect. Boom. Well done. Catching the ball. Not the best thrown, but you don't need to be 100% accurate when you throw to Jared Cook. So fantastic there to ice the game. This results into a touchdown drive. It was a fourth and two. It's fourth and two. Raiders take over at midfield. They probably tie it up and have to go back to Jared Cook on the next possession to try and win the game. But Jared Cook doesn't let it get to that point. So, Jared Cook, is this his first time on our list this season? He is. So, Jared Cook, welcome. And uh, that's a great performance. Led the team in receiving. We always love that. Jared Cook, well done for your A plus.
performance. I'm giving them an A+. Fantastic. Fourth and two, touchdown, close game, scoring. Jeez, love it all. A-plus for Jared Cook out here. So those are all our tight ends for today. So let's shout them out again. Dalton Schultz, well done. Uh, Dawson Knox, Mo Ali Cox, Mike Kosicki, Mike Williams, Mark Andrews, Hunter Henry, John New Smith, and Jared Cook. And look at this. No Travis Kelsey, nor jo no George Kittle, and no Darren Waller. Ooh, the people that kind of started tight end university. Uh, well, you gave away your secrets, and now everybody's balling out. So that's what we love to see. You see all these tight ends we have on this list, folks. Tight ends making contributions week in and week out. We absolutely love it, and that's what we're celebrating here. So another big round of applause for the tight ends this week. All right, and then the final thing we have to do for today is our power rankings, folks. What has changed this week? Who's looking good? Who should we be fading? And what is our new ranked top 10 as we see it? All righty, we just wrapped up week four, folks, last night with Monday Night Football. So now we have to reorder all these teams. So heading into this week, we had the Packers, Chargers, and Broncos all fighting for that last spot there at number 10. We'll see what they all did. Uh, nine was the Bills, Ravens at eight, Raiders at seven, Browns at six, Chiefs at five, Bucks at four, Cowboys at three, Cardinals at two, and the Rams, the number one team in the league. But they just lost. So I think we got to crown a new number one team. So let's see how we order these. So here we go. Let's start here at number 10. New number 10 team right here. And uh, we're going to leave it. So we got to erase the Broncos and the Chargers, and we're just going to leave the Packers as the number 10 team. They got the win. Fantastic. They beat the Steelers. Nothing great. Aaron Rodgers showing what Aaron Rodgers does. Not really closing out the game early. Stuttered a little bit, but then they got it going, and they never looked back. But it was against the Steelers. I'm not ready to say that this Steelers team is one of the best teams in the league, and this is a good quality win. Obviously, any win is a great win. We're not saying that, but you know the level of opponent. The Cardinals just beat the Rams. I mean, the Rams aren't even not even close to the Steelers. So we're going to give credit to the Packers. We put them, the Broncos, and the Chargers, keeping them at number 10 and wanting to see what they did. The Packers accepted our challenge. They got the win, so we'll respect it. But we're only going to leave them at number 10. It's Aaron Rodgers looking iffy throughout the entire game. Haven't seen an entire full game cleaned by Aaron Rodgers yet. And we know how Aaron Rodgers can get with this team and all that. Gets a little careless, but then he says he's not careless in the media. I don't buy it. Um, so uh, it's still a good win. Not the most impressive win, but it's a win. We'll keep him at number 10. Alrighty, new number nine team here. No longer the Bills. Are they moving up or are they off the list? We're going to have to keep watching to find, to find out, folks. But our new number nine team is going to be the Chargers. They were number 10 last week. They got the win. We can move them up a little bit. And I have them over the Packers because I just trust Justin Herbert a little bit more. Um, he's you know getting it done exactly every single time he needs to. He's not turning over the ball. And I think I like his attitude a little bit more. I like his attitude. I like his leadership a little bit more than I like Aaron Rodgers. I think the Chargers have a little bit of a better defense than the Packers as well. This Chargers defense shut down the high-flying, big, explosive play offense of the Raiders and didn't allow them to really move the ball the entire first half. So I'm loving this Chargers offense. The Chargers defense is fantastic. The coach, I'm ready to be uh, Brandon St uh, Stanley kind of 
believer, folks. I'm big buying into this Chargers head coach, first-time head coach in this league, and is truly getting it done, turning around this culture for the Chargers. They're not losing the close games. They're winning the close games and winning games just in general. You love to see it. So uh, Justin Herbert, a solid performance last night, and we're going to give him the number nine seeding because of that. All right, um, new number eight team is going to be, actually, we're going to, yeah, we're going to keep them there. Are we keeping them there? We are keeping them there. Number eight is still going to be the Ravens, folks. This is obviously the Lamar Jackson show, the Lamar Jackson team. This is Lamar Jackson rushing and passing, which is good because Lamar Jackson is fantastic. But is, how is it going to play out for the rest of the season? Is he going to get figured out? And when they have to rely on everybody else, are they going to be able to step up? So, so far early on in the season, they're making it work. They're winning the games. They just went on the road at last week against the Broncos and absolutely kind of shut them out basically the Broncos only put up seven points but uh Lamar Jackson with this Ravens team they're they're doing what they're supposed to do we're not going to knock them for doing what they're supposed to be doing out here the win against the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago was fantastic was big and then this win in this kind of solid play against the good Broncos defense another solid win here for this Ravens team this week what is giving me some cause for concerns of moving them up a little bit John Harbaugh trying to get a little bit too cute in the coaching aspect we just kind of talked about it yesterday on the show he's wanting credit for everything and wanting it to be known hey I'm making all these decisions of hey Lamar Jackson you want to go for it on fourth down and hey I'm going to keep the rushing record alive by running the ball on the very last play of the game when it was meaningless hey I'm doing all this I'm an actual good head coach I'm a players head coach hey don't y'all want to come to Baltimore I'm fun over here so I'm a little concerned where where that could be heading um, and just the, too much reliability on Lamar Jackson I know he can do it we've been seeing him do it but at some point you're gonna need your other playmakers to get it done and so far yeah Marquise Brown had a good game he didn't really drop any balls which is fantastic but is that going to be consistent uh, we're going to leave him at number eight to truly make sure come next week so the Ravens stay at number eight all right, I should mention that the Broncos are 100% off this list. No Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not believing in Drew Locke. And even Teddy Bridgewater really couldn't move the ball that well at home. So little lackluster performance by the Broncos and, uh, you know, their first real opponent. They didn't play the best. So the Broncos are 100% off this list. Now the new number seven team, the Raiders are also 100% off this list. We are, you know, we already know that this Raiders team was winning close games in overtime, and we know their history of losing and floundering in the back end of the season. And we just kind of saw maybe a little bit of a preview of what's to come for this Raiders team overall. Lackluster offense, not moving the ball from the get go. So we're gonna move the Raiders off the top ten. We'll see if they can get back in as the season progresses. But the new seven team here is going to be the Browns. We're moving them back one spot here uh, to number seven. The Browns, what the hell is going on with Baker Mayfield? This man has not looked good these last two games. And we know we love Kevin Stefanski. That's not the problem. So we're going to watch the Browns tomorrow a little bit deeper into our film study to see what's going on with Baker Mayfield. But this Browns team, besides Baker Mayfield, is still fantastic, folks. You get the defense holding the Vikings to seven points the entire game at home. How fantastic is that? And they scored on their first possession. They shut them out for the rest of the game. Fantastic. We know they're running back by committee. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb may be the best running back committee in the league. And they are two of the top five best running backs in this league. Definite top ten. I think you can make the argument for top five for both of them. 
So regardless of how Baker Mayfield is playing, uh, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, we want him to play very, very well, and we've seen him be able to do that in Kevin Stefanski's system. But these last two weeks, like completing garbage completion percentage, not moving the ball, not really putting up any uh, that many points, heavily relying on the defense, heavily relying on the passing game. So we're moving the Browns one spot because Baker Mayfield, I don't know what the hell's going on, but he's leaving a bad taste in our mouth. Hopefully, he can get back on track next week and we can bump this Browns team up a little bit more. So Browns at number seven. All right, new number six team, and we're going to kind of jump this team up a little bit, and I'm skeptical in doing this, and I was very hesitant on doing this, folks. I didn't want to move this team up this much, but given how every other team has played, I don't have a choice just quite yet, or just right now, unfortunately. So the Bills are going to be the number six team. This Bills team is good. I'm not saying they're not good. Their defense is fantastic. Josh Allen, not a lot of urgency and leaving the door open every single game. Now they have the Chiefs this week. This is going to be their true test. And I really wanted to wait till this week, this matchup here, Bills-Chiefs, to really see what this Bills team is made of before we move them up you know, to number six. But all these other teams, nothing else has been as good as this Bills team. They haven't been facing the best opponents. They've been at home for most of the season and the defense is getting it done the defense is not allowing any points but Josh Allen not getting it done in the red zone having to settle for field goals not really closing out the door until the second half and if the Dolphins had a competent quarterback the Texans had a competent quarterback I don't know if the Bills win either or any or both of those games over the last couple of weeks here so I'm a little hesitant to move this Bills team up the defense is not the problem it's the offense and Josh Allen struggling to put away the games struggling to score in the red zone and settle and score touchdowns instead of settling for field goals so and you know Ah, if the Bills lose and have a big stinker against the Chiefs, I'm going to be pissed because we had the Bills at number six, but I'm just not seeing enough from all these other teams where we can kind of delay this Bills in the, you know, at number six or even higher than what we had them. Had them at number nine coming into this week. Um, so ah, don't bite us in the butt, Bills. This is your chance. This is your shot. True, Prove that you deserve to be the number six team this week, and uh, hopefully we can uh, don't feel like clowns next Tuesday. So Bills at six. Alrighty, new number five team is going to be the Bucks. We're going to move them back a spot. They did get the win, uh, but it was a close game. And, you know, Tom Brady, he looked good, but the overall offense struggled the entire game. Bill Belichick putting up a good defense. And it's just something about this Bucks defense that, uh, you know, played all right. They got it done. They ended up winning. So, you know, we don't want to penalize this Bucks team, but it's against the Patriots. It's not a great team on paper when we're comparing about, you know, all these other teams, who they're beating and who they're kind of being very good and putting out the points against and being competitive with. So I understand all the circumstances surrounding this game, but we had other great performances by other team. And that's kind of what this week is in the NFL, you know, where we don't want to kind of view moving these teams back a spot, one spot, and just keeping these teams parallel um, with their same spots that they had last week. But it's just other teams showing out a lot more and kind of passing these teams. So the Bucks, the offense struggled to score. Tom Brady was still looking good. Good, but the offense was still struggling to score, and Tom Brady did miss a lot of throws as well. So this Bucks team overall is still good. We all know it. Uh, probably just the circumstances of why the game was close and how it went, and hopefully this Bucks team can get back on track next week and really show that they are one of the best teams in the league, and we can move them up a little bit more. But these other kind of four teams that we have looking a lot better than them. So Bucks at five. We move them back a spot. 
Alrighty, the new number four team, and we move them up a spot, is the Chiefs. And why we have to move them and kind of flip them with the boxes? Because the Chiefs just went down and scored a touchdown in every single possession. They had one interception. Every other single possession was a touchdown. That is almost flawless football as you can get, folks. Fantastic. The offense, Andy Reid, Patrick Holmes just getting it done. Bounce back game over the last two lackluster weeks. And this is what we're talking about. When the Chiefs are at their max potential, they'll put up a touchdown on every single drive. They do not care. They will put up 49 points. Uh, they put up 42 points. They had seven drives overall, so it could have been 49 points if they didn't throw the pick. But it's just that's what the Chiefs do, folks. That's what the offense is. It's Patrick Mahomes. He's so gosh dang good. It's Andy Reid. It's Tyreek Hill. It's Travis Kelsey. They've got it all, and they just showed it last week against the Eagles in Philadelphia on the road. The defense did give up 30 points, but we do respect this Eagles team a lot more than I think the national media gives them credit for. So we're going to move this Chiefs up to number four. Alrighty, new number three team out here is going to be the Rams. Yes, they fall from one, two, three here. They lose against the Cardinals, so we definitely got to drop them back. They lose at home, uh, so we got to drop them back to number three. But this Rams team just seemed their offense hiccuped a little bit last week. He throws the interception. They get out to a slow start. And the Rams, they play turnover-free football for the first time this season. And it's gosh dang good when they do that. So, not a huge knock on this Rams team. It's still Sean McVay and Matthew Staff. Just the connection between him and Cooper Cup wasn't 100% on par. Uh, Matthew Stafford not being 100% clutch in the red zone this game, unfortunate. So, a little bit of a step back here. And we're hoping, you know, we just saw the Rams get a little conservative in their play calling. We hopefully they can open it right back up and kind of, you know, not take this loss and dwell on it and implode because of it. So, this Rams team is still good, folks. Just have to move them back because we saw a great performance by the Cardinals in our number two team. So, let's reveal our new number two team. Is going to be the Dallas Mother Loving Cowboys, baby. Woo! Proving everybody wrong this week. This Panthers defense is the real deal. And the Cowboys were still able to put up points and move the ball and uh, throw the ball, run the ball, do whatever they wanted to against this good, very, very good, solid Panthers defense. So Cowboys offense is the real deal. And their defense, folks, is the real deal. Maybe the best defense in the league in terms of takeaways. There are ball hawks, Trayvon Diggs, best corner in the league, shutting everybody down. And, you know, when the game was close... One quarterback floundered and one quarterback didn't. Dak Prescott didn't flounder. He threw four touchdowns, no picks. Sam Darnold against a good defense. It was close, folks. His uh, interceptions came in the second half when the game was basically tied. It was 14-13 because the Cowboys missed an extra point. But, um, you know, when the game was close in the second half, Cowboys stayed cool as a cucumber. Offense moved the ball. Defense got the takeaways. And this Cowboys team is one of the most complete teams. And they have so many injuries, folks, on the offensive line and on the defensive line. They still don't even have um, Demarcus Lawrence out there. And they're still making work. They're still getting the turnovers. They're still putting the pressure on the quarterback. So respect this Cowboys team, folks. I don't know how many times we have to say it. We've been on a respect the Cowboys. If you follow our Twitter, geez. Louise, we're tweeting out respect the Cowboys every single day, and uh, we did it on Sunday, we did it today, we did it yesterday, and we're doing it today as well again. Cowboys respect this team, complete team overall, run, pass, defense, offensive line, defensive pass, rush, corners, linebackers, safeties, uh, running backs, running back by committee, wide receivers, tight ends, Dalton Schultz, geez Louise, folks, I can go on, Cowboys are the real deal, number two team in the league.
And then our number one team is obviously the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, it was Rams one, Cardinals two coming into this week, and the two number one and number two teams faced, and the number two team went on the road and won the game. Cardinals played turnover-free football. It was fantastic. And we know what this Cardinals team can do. They know how to win. They know how to win close. And now they know how to win from start to finish, getting it done on the road against a division opponent, the best team in the league, the Rams. How great was that game? Kyler Murray looked flawless. The defense got stops. They got turnovers. They got it done in the red zone. They put together a full complement game together that we have not seen by the Cardinals. We knew they could do this. This is why we've been keeping them at kind of number two this entire season, even though they've been getting down against not great teams and Kyler Murray's throwing interceptions. But in the second half, when they're down double digits, they come back. They're still throwing interceptions, but they still throw it, you know, get it out of, you know, out of their memory. They're still moving ball, the ball down the field. They're putting up the points. Uh, the entire defense is playing good. Like we said, uh, Buda Baker. J.J. Watts getting into the action. We all know Chandler Jones as well. Uh, but Kyler Murray in this offense, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, probably the du best dual threat quarterback in the league, uh, Kyler Murray. Explosive, elusive, accurate, arm strength. I mean, he just knows it all, folks. And Cliff Kingsbury, give that man some credit as well for calling some gosh dang good drives and plays and putting up the points. So Cardinals are the new number one team in the league for taking down the previous number one team in the league. So well done for the Cardinals. So our uh, top 10 going into week five is Packers at 10, Chargers at nine, Ravens at eight, Browns at seven, Bills at six, Bucks at five, Chiefs at four, Rams at three, Cowboys at two, and the Cardinals, the new number one team in the league. Alrighty, so that is going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We are quickly going to take a quick look. Was Urban Meyer fired? <laughs> Was Urban Meyer fired yet? I doubt it, but let's see. It uh, does not appear so, but it uh, should come at any moment. Probably after next week, depending on what happens, but you expect that man to be gone. Alrighty, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We are back live tomorrow, noon Eastern, for our Wednesday film study. What do we What do we see, folks, this week? What do we see? What did y'all not see? What did the media not see? We'll point it all out tomorrow on the show. Last day talking about week four, and then we're heading right into week five, folks, so don't miss it. We're back live tomorrow, noon Eastern. Alrighty, folks.